we think it should be 10 times as fast, half the cost, and zero emission. And that really is like the promise of this big transformation that's going to happen toward using vehicles to do that sort of a delivery that weigh 50 pounds, not 4,000 pounds, and using a system that relies on autonomy with like very, very high level human oversight rather than a human moving the steering wheel back and forth and transitioning from something that's really devastating to the environment to something that is entirely zero emission. Welcome to the 5-Year Frontier podcast, a preview of the future through the eyes of the innovators shaping our world. Through short, insight-packed interviews, I seek to bring you a glimpse of what a key industry could look like five years out. I'm your host, Daniel Darling, a venture capitalist at Focal, where I spend my days with founders at the very start of their journey to transform an industry. The best have a distinct vision of what's to come, a guiding North Star they're building towards, and that's what I'm here to share with you. Today's episode is about drones and the future of autonomous logistics. In it, we cover topics including teleporting life-saving medicine, installing buildings with drone portals, challenging the centralized power of e-commerce platforms, and what our world will look like when drone delivery goes mainstream. Guiding us will be Keller Renato Clifton, co-founder and CEO of Zipline, a drone company that operates the world's largest automated on-demand delivery service. A global leader, they're active in seven countries, including the US, Japan, and across Africa, where it's had huge humanitarian impact. Zipline has completed 10 times the number of autonomous miles of the rest of the industry combined. Almost every minute, Zipline makes a delivery ranging from vaccines, over 13 million delivered, blood, and increasingly common goods. With over 1,000 employees, Zipline is backed by leading investors including Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, and Google. Keller is a software engineer by background, a Harvard grad, and a professional rock climber. Keller, so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. So drones really capture the imagination from photography to defense to racing leagues, yet we haven't seen a company really crack everyday delivery. And that sounds like it's about to change. You know, thanks to over 55 million miles of safe flying by Zipline, you've been recently approved by the FAA to conduct drone delivery in the US without any need for human observers. So how big of a deal is that for you and moving the industry forward? It's a pretty big deal. We started building Zipline in 2013, and it seemed obvious to us that somebody was going to build an automated logistics system. We've really been making excuses for unreliable logistics for a century. And it felt to us like it's probably at this point possible to build a new kind of logistics system and one that would serve all people equally. The biggest challenge when we were starting the company in 2013, as we were growing in 2014 and 2015, was getting regulatory permission to do this at all. So Zipline actually started by operating mainly outside the US. We were able to build a huge database of safe flight. That was all required to then get this really milestone regulatory approval in the US, which means that uh, it's now going to be possible to do automated instant delivery at national scale throughout the US airspace. Incredible. And, and, you know, you started, as you said, outside of the US and it was delivering blood for hospitals in Rwanda. And now you've partnered with Walmart in the US. And we just had Johnny from Sweetgreen on the show um, who spoke about Zipline piloting salad delivery. That's a huge step change in terms of volume and ambition. What did you have to get right between Rwanda and today to open up this new chapter? So interestingly, when we originally launched in Rwanda in 2016, the government was paying us to deliver blood to 21 different hospitals. 
And that was really important because 50% of transfusions go to moms with postpartum hemorrhaging and 30% go to kids. It's a really crucial family health product. And when you need it, you really need it. Like it's a, it's an emergency. Over the succeeding years, we expanded to all hospitals and primary care facilities in the country. And we expanded to almost all healthcare products. And I think maybe we had like a week of patting ourselves on the back before the government was like, you know, we were kind of like, oh, we did it. And the government's like, no, what are you talking about? Now we need you to do animal healthcare delivery. Now we want you to deliver artificial insemination products for cattle because that agricultural productivity ties into childhood malnutrition and brain stunting and cycles of poverty. Um, I just got, you know, a text this morning from the minister of uh, ICT, so you know, information and technology in Rwanda, talking about building a new national postal service on top of the mines infrastructure. So it's really like the infrastructure has grown and grown. It's kind of clear that this technology, you, know, you can, it can have a huge impact in healthcare, but that healthcare is just the start. And in the US, uh, you know, we work with partners like Walmart and Sweetgreen. We also work with partners like Intermountain Healthcare, Multicare in Seattle, uh, Michigan Medicine, Ohio Health, and a lot of others that we haven't announced yet. I would say people always think of Africa and the U.S. as being very different things. They're, they're actually probably less different than you might think. Both countries have a lot of acute healthcare needs. And then it's also sort of obvious opportunity to expand beyond healthcare and still create a lot of value. I'd love to understand a little bit of the hardware innovation and the, and the stack that you've built at Zipline to enable this logistics. Can you give us a feel for what a typical flight looks like and what you had to build to make it possible? I think the most counterintuitive thing about Zipline is that it's very easy for people to look from outside the company and say, oh, wow, what a cool drone or what a cool autonomous aircraft. And I think the biggest learning we had from trying to do this in the real world is that, in fact, you know, the aircraft is about 15% of the complexity of the overall solution. I think a, a similar way of thinking about it would be if you thought about competing with UPS and you were like, I'm going to compete against UPS. All I need is a brown truck and then I'll be ready. You can immediately grasp like logistics networks are about a lot more than just the vehicle. And, and Zipline has had this learning of you know, as we began to operate at scale, we started to understand, oh, wow. You know, data logging is really important. Unmanned traffic management systems are important. Computer vision-based pre-flight checks are important. Multi-vehicle deconfliction so that you have a lot of aircraft in the same airspace, how you make sure that they're deconflicting from each other. Even just customer ordering interfaces, these are all things that need to exist for the overall system to do what our customers want. And the thing that our customers want is basically just teleportation. They need something to go from point A to point B fast enough to save somebody's life. And they don't actually care how we do it. You know, that's the thing that's the reason that a drone isn't that important. Like we can be using dragons as far as they're concerned, as long as it solves the problem and is unit economic. Interestingly, that really caused Zipline over the last six years to become a more and more full stack company over time. We kind of realized that we needed to hold each and every one of these, not just the design of the avionics, which we do from scratch, not just the firmware on the aircraft, not just the mechanical design of the vehicle not just aerodynamics and aeroacoustics, not just flight control algorithms and multi-vehicle deconfliction and data like, like all of these things have to exist so that our customers don't have to worry about them. And all our customers have to worry about is just thinking of this as they're just paying for a logistics service. They can teleport something from a hospital or from a warehouse or from a store directly to a customer's home. Can you give us an understanding of, of the scale to go from serving the medical industry to now trying to go into other industries and a bit more mainstream? 
Yeah, I think it's fun to talk about where we started, where we are today, and then where we hope to be. So, you know, where we started, I remember when we launched our first distribution center in Rwanda, the team had this goal of doing as many flights as we could do in a day. And so the team showed up at like 7 a.m. and worked a whole 12-hour day until 7 p.m. And it was just killing themselves the entire day. And I think we did like eight flights that day. And I remember we were talking as a team saying, well, actually, we think that, you know, in order to serve all these different hospitals doing blood delivery, we're probably going to need to do 50 flights in a day. And the team thought that was preposterous. It was never going to happen. We now have distribution centers doing almost 400 flights a day. And Zipline has 18 global distribution centers. And so the system has scaled a lot. I mean, it means that we're now doing well over, on average, what we're doing in the thousands of deliveries a day. This system just crossed 65 million commercial autonomous miles, which means that Zipline is the largest commercial autonomous system on earth, ground or air. Wow. So that you know, it's it's really scaled a lot. The crazy thing is that, and this is to your other point, as we're expanding now into these additional use cases, particularly like home delivery, with partners like the Ministry of Health, but also partners like Michigan Medicine or Ohio Health or Walmart, the demand is actually vastly higher. It's exciting and it's scary, and it means that that we have to be making all kinds of forward-looking investments now in things like operational scalability and permitting and you know, regulatory approvals and overall reliability of the system. That's remarkable progress. So Keller, in your mind, what is the vision for this autonomous logistics systems in five years time? The easiest way of looking at it is to understand it's actually already being done today. That's the great thing about what we do. There, it's not like people don't have instant delivery today. There will be 4 billion instant deliveries that happen in the U.S. this year alone. And that's not like UPS or FedEx or even Amazon. That's like just these companies where you know, you're ordering something and a car is driving directly to the restaurant or directly to the hospital or directly to you know, the store to pick something up and then driving it to you. On average, these deliveries weigh less than five pounds and we're using a human driving a three to 4,000 pound gas combustion vehicle to your house to deliver the thing to you. And I think we all know this is actually surprisingly expensive. It's quite slow. It's not much faster than an hour. And it's terrible for the environment for reasons that are obvious. And so I think a big thing we're going to see over the next five years is this realization that that is like a bizarre way of solving the problem. The reality is it's it's like we're trying to solve COVID particularly, I think really accelerated demand. I think there's a new generation of consumers who just want to buy in a different way. All these things are factors. But what's suddenly clear is that people do not want to have to get in a car and drive to a store to buy something. They want to press a button on a phone and have it delivered near instantly. And so I think what we're going to see over the next five years is engineering-centric first principles approach to solving that problem, which is if we're going to solve that problem, we think it should be 10 times as fast, half the cost, and zero emission. And that really is like the promise of this big transformation that's going to happen toward using vehicles to do that sort of a delivery that weigh 50 pounds, not 4,000 pounds. And using a system that relies on autonomy with like very, very high level human oversight rather than a human moving the steering wheel back and forth and transitioning from something that's really devastating to the environment to something that is entirely zero emission. When you think about the customers, do you anticipate Zipline being embedded into their warehouses or do you think you have your own logistical hubs all around a nation or how does that sort of start to map out in your mind? 
Zipline announced a next generation technology a couple months ago. And the great thing about that technology, and by the way, this is what Jonathan, the CEO of Sweetgreen, who you had on a few weeks ago was, was talking about and what we partner with them on. The next generation technology is really just designed to install onto the wall of any pre-existing store, warehouse, hospital, primary care facility. And once you've installed onto the wall, we talk to our customers about that as just a magical portal. You can almost think of it as like a Stargate or Rick and Morty portal. You know, you pick your sci-fi, but you install a magical portal in the wall. And now anybody who's working in that building can put something in a box, walk to the magical portal, pass it through the magical portal. And the product is now just teleported directly to the home that is designated by a QR code on the box. What's neat about that, by the way, is particularly when we talk to healthcare systems, they really get it. They see the overall kind of customer integration, the fact that they just walk to a hole in the wall and pass something through. Um, a lot of hospital systems are like, oh, it's exactly like our pneumatic tube systems that we've been using for 50 years. Except now, instead of shooting it off to somewhere else in the hospital system, now we're just shooting it directly to the home that it needs to be delivered to. And it's like, yes, exactly. That's a great way of thinking about it. <laughs> so, you know, our goal here is to create like an integration point that is as easy to use as that. Just walk up, pass the box in, it's immediately teleported to where it needs to go. How elegant. And drones is one part, right? Flying drones. What about the other logistics in terms of robotics and the opportunity there? Is it all happening in the sky or do you anticipate some other parts as well? Yeah. I mean, when we think more broadly, I mean, I think that there is going to be a huge transformation that happens in logistics generally. One is even just when it comes to delivering, not everything will be delivered in the way that Zipline's talking about delivering it today, right? Like we're not going to be delivering a flat screen TV to your house anytime soon. For, that would require... <laughs> it would be impressive to see that flying overhead. <laughs> yeah, it would be impressive, right? But I mean, keep in mind, first of all, it surprises a lot of people, you know, 85% of e-commerce packages delivered in the US are five pounds or less. Actually, the majority of stuff that is being delivered today is actually falls into the, I would say, the light and fast category. Uh, but there are certain things you're just not going to deliver that way. And so obviously, there's always going to be um, ground-based systems as well. You know, logistics wants to be multimodal naturally. And then I think to the other part of your question, is this only happening outside the warehouse? It isn't. I mean, I actually think there's going to be a huge amount of automation happening inside these warehouses as well. Interestingly, you know, a lot of the customers that we work with, they got their start in having these big, amazing retail businesses where all the customers would come to that business and walk into the business and 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 maybe the back of the house of that building used to be really tiny, you know, it's like where just where you kept a little bit of extra inventory. But now what you see is so many of these retail locations, back of house is growing. You know, it might be it might be half of the store now that they need to be using to run like as a micro fulfillment center where they're empowering like instant delivery, where they're driving their e-commerce strategy, where they're doing at store pickup. Like there's just so many different things that are being tried that I think there is a big transformation happening in um, stores or hospitals or uh, restaurants themselves. It's not just it's not just on the delivery side. What you're describing resembles a large technology-enabled platform shift, and when those occur, new businesses arise that weren't able to exist before. Are there any examples in your mind of those? Yeah, it's really hard to predict the future. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to predict where Zipline's going to be in three months, let alone say like in five years, what are all the additional things that are going to be enabled? I mean, I think that this kind of instant automated delivery is going to make it possible for people who live in harder reach parts of the world in more rural areas um, to have access to healthcare and economic opportunity that they don't have today. That's a huge thing. I think that in 
particularly in parts of the US, even in big cities, because of the way that fulfillment and e-commerce works, I think there's been a large like centralization of power in just a few e-commerce players. Like if you're a brand, you pretty much probably have to sell your products through that one platform because that's where all of the fulfillment and delivery to customers' homes is happening. Whereas if you start to think, if you actually had like teleportation capability, it might be possible for smaller brands to succeed in ways that they aren't able to succeed today. I also think when you look at restaurants, you know, a lot of restaurants might feel like they're sort of beholden to or dependent on, you know, certain platforms where they kind of feel like their customers are being held hostage and the customers are mainly ordering through those platforms. I actually think that having teleportation should make it possible for like great brands to hold on to that relationship with their customers and then provide the highest level of logistics, aka teleportation or like less than, you know, five to 10 minute delivery directly to their homes. I guess it's only theoretical, but our hope is actually that making this kinds of logistics services broadly available will actually distribute power and prevent platforms from sort of sucking up all the oxygen in, in, in these industries. Well, that's a fascinating um, train of thought. And does that start to lead to more peer-to-peer delivery potentially or, or sort of some of those networks rather than just from um, a retailer out? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, that that is exactly what we kind of think about, which is because yeah, it's not just a retailer. It's also like, you know, to what degree should it just be the company or people who are producing the goods who can then just teleport the goods to the end buyer? It does seem like there are all kinds of interesting, you know, the, the better that system gets, the more it's possible to disintermediate the really big, powerful platforms and just connect the creator directly with the consumer. Let's talk about sustainability for a moment. It's clear that shifting from delivery vans to electric drones can cut emissions, but what other areas of this logistical framework that you're building will lead to a more sustainable future? When you can order only what you need and it's more comfortable to order on like a daily or every every couple days basis, you actually don't feel the need to like buy a ton of stuff and batch process and then like throw half of it out. You know, like it's the famous avocado problem where like I hate shopping. So I always want to buy like all these avocados and you'll always throw a bunch of them out because they go bad. I think that if it's a little bit the difference between how, you know, Europeans shop versus how Americans shop. I got to experience this, you know, on a vacation a couple of years ago, you really realize, wow, you know, there are so many little neighborhood markets in a lot of these um, European cities that it's actually very convenient to just shop for what you need like that night. Whereas, you know, the way that my family grew up shopping, you would like go to Costco and, you know, you get the huge, what do you call them? The giant carts that you can get enough. Yeah. The trolleys exactly for like, (laughs) and you buy all the food you need for two weeks. And it has all kinds of implications. Like it's, it's, it's actually worse for the environment because there's higher waste, but it's also actually worse for people's health because you're less likely to eat fresh food. You're more likely to eat, you know, preserved foods. We move products as quickly and efficiently as the internet moves information. Wow. And that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Cause you know, we used to pay a lot of money. If I needed to send you a letter, I would pay someone to ride on horseback, like, you know, across multiple states to deliver in key information to you. And obviously, you know, we'll use email for that today. I think the way that we do a lot of logistics today will seem similarly weird to us 10 years from now, because it's just so obvious that, oh, you should be using like a really low cost, zero emission automated system to do that. You don't need to use a human to do that. 
How do you view the startup ecosystem in and around the space that Zipline operates and what would be any advice to entrepreneurs in general? When you think about like startups in general and when you think about like IT and technology, like the kinds of things that most investors and VCs are investing in today, there is a general perception that like, oh, well, hardware is hard and so it's probably better if we could just focus on like consumer software or, you know, um, enterprise SaaS applications. There is huge opportunity in these large, you know, whether it's solving fusion or whether it's building sustainable habitations on, you know, the moon or Mars, or whether it's building these like low earth orbit constellations of satellites, or whether it's life extension or DNA computation, or, uh, in, you know, the list goes on and on AI drug discovery. Like there are so many things that are hard humanity level problems that involve complex interactions between software and hardware. I think it is the case that, you know, there are going to be many trillion dollar companies built over the next 15 years. And I would be willing to bet that the majority of those companies fall into that category. Like the biggest, most important things that are going to be done over the next couple decades, I think most of the problems that we need to solve at humanity scale are going to be solved by mission-driven for-profit companies. I think it's really hard for NGOs to raise enough money philanthropically to eventually be able to serve billions of people. Um, and I also think it's really hard for companies that are just purely focused on profit max- maximization, like serving the richest people on earth. I mean, neither will they. But I, I think there's like a unique opportunity for companies that really align profit and purpose and that you know exist to serve a mission, but also have viable business models so that the company can, you know, these companies have pretty extreme advantages that I think are not fully understood. I think people sort of struggle to understand like why Tesla and SpaceX have succeeded in the ways that they have. Like those are preternaturally mission-driven companies that have been able to attract extraordinary talent because the best people in the world want to work on a mission that really inspires them. And I do think are on their way to having like significant positive impact in the world. And Zipline is it in a similar sense, you know, as this really clear mission that has been a secret weapon when it comes to recruiting, it's even been a secret weapon in terms of raising money from investors. Even investors will want to be part of something that's inspiring, like that you know, we're not just doing this to make another million dollars. We're doing this because life is short. And like, why not work on something that would be absolutely legendary for humanity if we could achieve it? Like the harder the problem is or the, or the bigger the scope in many ways, I think actually the less competitive it is. You will have less competition, you know, because there so many people are just trying to do sort of the easy incremental thing. And so I actually think, weirdly, the extra degree of difficulty is largely compensated by the fact that there are not very many people trying to do it. And I think, you know, Zipline probably falls into that category. We're coming up on time here, unfortunately, and I'd like to just end on a more personal note. You're a father of two young girls and you're building incredibly mission-driven company, what is your hope for the world that your girls will inherit? When I think about, you know, our daughters growing up and like the kind of world we want to hand them, I think, you know, it just feels like there is this moral imperative to humanity needs a positive vision that we believe in. I think if you read the news, you think that humanity is doing absolutely terribly and, you know, everything, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the sad thing is if you actually look at the broad statistics across really any major axis of like human flourishing, we're doing amazing. You know, we're doing better and better, almost on average every decade. We're doing better than the last decade. And this is across axes like women's rights, 
education, wealth, environment, all of these things. And I think the biggest thing you know, to me is just feeling that moral imperative of like handing a world to our children that is better than the world that we were handed and believing that it's possible. Because I think that a huge part of this is actually just like mental state. Like if we're in a mental state of thinking that half of the country is out to kill us and the world is doing terribly and like the environmental challenges we see are unsolvable and, you know, technology is generally bad, you know, robots are going to be evil and, you know, try to take over the world. Like all these things that I think a lot of science fiction, Hollywood would have us believe and then and the media would have us believe. The reality is, you know, all problems are solvable and humans are actually doing a pretty good job on the whole of using technology and science to solve problems one by one and, and really encourage and enable human flourishing on a planet-wide scale. And so I think like having a positive vision that we believe in and then committing ourselves to the, the parts of that vision that we think we are, ourselves are suited to creating, that's the thing that I really want to impart to our daughters. And I feel like it's, uh, you know, the reason I feel this moral imperative to do what we do at Zipline. What a lovely and optimistic note to uh, to end on. Thanks so much, Keller. That was really fun chat. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored. What an inspiring chat with Keller. His vision for Zipline and the autonomous logistics network they're helping to usher in feels like a giant platform shift and one materializing in just the next couple of years ahead. I love his analogy of the evolution of mail to email, which if we can move goods about at far greater speed and agility, would open up a wealth of opportunity and all kinds of new businesses. If you're launching a software startup in this space, reach out, we'd love to hear about it. You can email me on danieldarling at focal.vc. To follow along on Keller's mission, head over to his Twitter profile, at KellerRenado, that's K-E-L-L-E-R, R-I-N-A-U-D-O. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please subscribe to the podcast to listen to more coming down the pipe. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day. Hold up. 